0: One of the puzzling things about the resurrection stories is why the disciples were so surprised that Jesus rose from the dead. Uh, did you think that uh, as we were reading it through? They seemed so slow to get it. Jesus had warned them again and again what would happen. They had all the clues that they needed to come to the right conclusion, but they didn't. They were puzzled, confused, In fact, they come off looking pretty foolish, I think, don't they? These sorts of accounts are actually evidence for the reliability of the story of this uh, eyewitness account. You see, if the first Christians had actually invented this story of Jesus rising from the dead, you wouldn't have invented it so they came off looking so foolish, would you? It has to be true. I wonder if you have ever been given the right clues yet come to the wrong conclusion. Because that's what it was like for Jesus' disciples that first Easter Sunday. I think if we're honest, we probably would have come to the same conclusion ourselves. Because it just doesn't happen. That people rise from the dead. I'm sure most of you have been to a funeral. When someone dies and you put them in the ground and the coffin is covered, that is where they stay. You don't have people peering expectantly into the hole. Or as they walk away from the graveside, looking over their shoulder in the hope that the person will suddenly pop up out of the ground. It it does not happen, does it? So it will take some pretty extraordinary evidence to change those conclusions. And that's what we see in Luke's account. So let's look over the shoulders of those first eyewitnesses and see if we can learn from their mistakes. The day begins with the women at the tomb. They head off with spices to anoint the body, perhaps just enough light to see. They're expecting a body, but the first clue they discover, verse 2, the stone was rolled away. They would have had to move it themselves, but someone had already moved it for them. But clue number 2, there is no body. The tomb was empty, that's verse 3. But that's not all. Two angels suddenly appear. And they remind the women of previous clues, of evidence they should have remembered. Look at the end of verse 5. Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here, he has risen. Remember how he told you. While he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. He told them plenty of times, this is what will happen, so be ready. Back in chapter 9, verse 22, pretty much what the angel just quoted. And again in chapter 18, verse 31 to 33, we read, Jesus took the twelve aside and told them, we're going up to Jerusalem. Everything that's written by the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. He'll be handed over to the Gentiles. They will mock him, insult him, spit on him, flog him and kill him. And on the third day, he'll rise again. It's pretty clear, isn't it? It sounds plain enough. But did they come to the right conclusion? Well, we'll look at the very next verse in chapter 18, verse 34. This is months previously. The disciples did not understand any of this. (laughs) The meaning was hidden from them. They didn't know what he was talking about. Even back then they had the right clues but they'd come to the wrong conclusion. Now things didn't actually get much clearer after Jesus' resurrection. Back in chapter 24, verse 9, the women returned from the tomb. <laughs> they'd tell the apostles what happened. How did the apostles respond? Verse 11, they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Now, Can you just imagine this being read in early churches in the 70s and the 80s while these apostles are still around and, and, and they're saying, yes, I know, that was, that was me. But that's the same thing people think today, isn't it, when we talk about Jesus rising from the dead. Even Peter... He's puzzled, puzzled enough to go and investigate for himself. Uh, He ends up none the wiser. He sees an empty tomb, he sees strips of linen, and we're told he went away wondering to himself what had happened. The empty tomb is not something to rejoice in, but a mystery that doesn't make sense. It's a puzzle to be solved rather than good news. It's not just the women who get the clues but come to the wrong conclusion. The apostles do it as well. Lots of questions, but no answers. Then we come to another group who get it wrong. These two Emmaus disciples. Luke is the only one who tells us this story. It's later the same day, that Sunday, less than 48 hours after Jesus' birth, and these two disciples are heartbroken, deflated, they thought that he was the one, the, the Messiah who would rescue Israel. But he wasn't. Obviously, because he was dead. And so they're travelling to Emmaus, almost certainly returning home. But they're not alone. Suddenly there's a travelling companion with them. verse 15, as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognising him. Now, there are stories in the Bible that convince me Jesus had a wonderful sense of (laughs) humour. And I think this is one of them. Verse 17, Jesus asks them, what are you discussing? And they stop, incredulous. Verse 18, are you the only one in the whole of Jerusalem who doesn't know about Jesus? They say. And then they go on to outline all the clues that they've picked up. Verse 19, he was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what's more, it's the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb earlier this morning, but didn't find his body They came and told us they'd seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. They've got all the clues, but they've jumped to the wrong conclusion. And look at Jesus' response, verse 25. He calls them fools. How foolish you are and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? Uh, normally having a slow heart's a good thing, you know, you're fit, your pulse is low. <laughs> but here a slow heart's a bad thing. He gives them a remedial Bible lesson. This is for slow learners, not just slow of heart. Verse 27. Uh, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Showing them from the Hebrew, the Jewish scriptures, how death was never the end of the plan. It makes all the difference to the story when you know how the story finishes. Uh, There are two movies I can think of that are completely different when you watch them the second time. Uh, One is The Sixth Sense... Perhaps you've seen that. Uh, The other one is A Beautiful Mind. Now, both of those, I'm not going to give away the plots, but in both movies, the final scene completely undermines everything you thought about what had happened before and reinterprets everything and puts a whole new context that, that changes the whole movie. And so what that means is the second time you watch the movie, it's a completely different experience. You see everything in a a new light. Now that's what it's like for the Christian who reads the Old Testament. With the death and resurrection of Jesus, it makes sense of the whole Bible, of everything that's come before it. About all the prophecy, about how a perfect sacrifice would come a Passover lamb, a perfect temple to replace a building, a suffering servant who would also be a victorious king, a forever king over every nation, not just one generation over Israel, a prophet who would come like Moses, a good shepherd like God himself, a source of living water. All of the promises we find in the Old Testament all the expectation, everything takes on a new tone, a new significance when you interpret it through the lens of the resurrection of Jesus. And you'll never read your Bible the same way again. Now, that's what Jesus does for these two disciples on the road to Emmaus. What a lesson it would have been to be part of that. Well, finally, later that night, verse 31. Uh, When Jesus takes bread, gives thanks to God and breaks it, Uh, in the context of a meal with his two friends, only then are their eyes opened. Verse 31 says they recognised him. They understood. They saw the light. And so the first thing they do, even though it's night, is they head straight back to Jerusalem to the apostles to give them the chance to come to the right conclusion. But look at what they're saying when these two arrive, Verse 34, the 11 were saying, it's true. The Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the, on the way and how Jesus had, uh, was recognised by them when he broke the bread. You see, finally it all comes together. Simon Peter, who back in verse 12 had only seen the empty tomb, has now seen Jesus. And he's told the rest of the disciples. So the rest, they've heard, but they still haven't seen Jesus. But that's what happens next, verse 36. Suddenly Jesus appears in the middle of this locked room. And even though they've heard the testimony... Even though they know with their heads what's happened, or they believe that with their heads that Jesus has been raised, now that they can actually see him, surely it's all going to click. Well, no, wrong again. Look at their response, verse 36. Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, why are you troubled and why do doubts rise in your minds? So he presents more evidence. Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see, a ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. When he said this, he showed them his hands and feet. But even this doesn't convince some of them and so Jesus gives them one more clue. Verse 41. And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement he asked them do you have anything to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate it in their presence. Ghosts don't eat food. And then he reminds them what he'd said before. This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that's written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. Once again, putting the pieces together in the Old Testament, like he did for those disciples on the road. But he doesn't just stop with the past, because his resurrection is not about the past, it's, a, it's about the future, because he has a job for his apostles. Look at verse 47. Repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning in Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. Now the great news of Easter isn't just that Jesus rose, but that Jesus rose for a purpose. A purpose God had planned from all eternity. That repentance and forgiveness of sins would be offered to every nation. You see, to witness is more than just to see. It actually means to bear witness. Uh, To see, but then to testify. Now that brings us to today, doesn't it? Because those eyewitnesses did testify. Faithful witnesses told people, who experienced Jesus and who became faithful witnesses, who told people who experienced Jesus and became faithful witnesses. And the message spread across land and sea and down through the centuries and it's made it here today to Australia. Which brings me to you. You know, there are people today just like those disciples People who'd been given the right clues, but who jumped to the wrong conclusion. People make all sorts of wrong assumptions about Jesus. He's a fairy tale. He existed, but he's irrelevant. He's a good teacher. He's a moral example. He was a defeated rebel leader. He was someone who preached love, but did not preach about hell and judgment. Now, they make all sorts of wrong conclusions, assumptions and mistakes. But here's the greatest and the most important one, the foundational one, the mistake that Jesus didn't really rise from the dead. This is really the defining moment. Everything in the Christian faith hinges on this fact. The Apostle Paul, who came after these apostles, was once an unbeliever, but he became an eyewitness. And in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 17, a letter he wrote to the Corinthian church, he says, If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. Sounds a bit depressing, doesn't it? If Jesus wasn't really raised from the dead. If you're looking at the evidence about the Christian faith, this is the crucial piece. It's the one you have to make a decision about. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, as impossible as that sounds, if that didn't really happen, the whole Christian faith is a lie, And there is no hope beyond death. And Jesus was just another religious teacher. Worse than that... He was a fraud. And we are wasting our time here this morning. We have nothing to celebrate if Jesus didn't rise from the dead. We would be better off sleeping in and just eating Easter eggs all weekend. But if he did, then we must come to the right conclusions, not the wrong ones. If Jesus really did rise from the dead, he really was who he says he was. He he was God's son and God's king and God's saviour. And it was all part of God's plan. And he really did give his life as a ransom. And he really did come to seek and to save the lost. And he really did pay for sin and defeat death and win God's forgiveness for your life. And he calls you to make a response. To turn from your ignorance and your self-centeredness and your independence and and turn to God and live for him. Accept his forgiveness and the life he offers. Jesus has earned your honour and your repentance and your trust and your life and your love. The evidence is there. What conclusion will you come to? I'm going to pray uh, and I'm also going to continue to pray about some of the needs uh, we see around us. Please join me in prayer.